New Testament lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love which he loved us when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in, Je in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for our good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Samantha for being our liturgist today. Our gospel lesson comes from John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I invite you to stand with me in body or spirit for the reading of the gospel. It might be a passage you've heard before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would, would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious God, we come to hear from you. And so may these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here and online be acceptable in your sight. May they not just be words from another human. May they be, in fact, your words speaking to us this morning. For you, O oh God, are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I am excited today, and I'm excited because we're starting a new sermon series. You might have seen it on the front of the uh, bulletin. It's called Marks of Methodism. And so with this new sermon series, we're going to try something new, something a little uh, interactive. And so what I would invite you to do Take about 30 seconds and turn to your neighbor and answer this question. What is the most important aspect of being a United Methodist? Take 30 seconds. Go. Okay, let's come back together. Now, I would love it if we had time. We could go around because I would love to hear what you all talked about, but we don't have all day, and so I'm going to take a risk and see if I can guess maybe some of the answers that you talked about with your neighbors. Now, uh, I would guess that some of the top answers in this room were the most important part of being United Methodist 
is liking potlucks. I'm guessing somebody in this room said that. Maybe you also heard that the mark of a good Methodist is the ability to make a committee to solve any and every problem. We like our methods and we like our committees, and that's, that's a good thing. Maybe you also heard this answer. I really don't know. If you're not quite sure what makes a Methodist a Methodist, I want you to know that it's okay. <laughs> Because even your seminary-trained pastors have a hard time answering that question when put on the spot. In fact, I want to share with you a quick story. A couple months ago, I was with the neighboring team, and we were out in the neighborhood knocking on doors, getting to know people, just trying to be better neighbors. And I was going around with Gwen Whitted, our missions chair, and Teresa Smith, and we came to a door just right across the road, and we knocked on it, and out came Nathan. And Nathan was a wonderful, wonderful man. He was so eager to talk to us. Most people aren't that eager to talk to people they don't know. But when we told him that we were from the Methodist church right across the road, he, he told us about he goes to New Spring Church over on the east side of town and talked for probably five or ten minutes about all the things that he does there at New Spring and all about the church, which was wonderful to hear. And after maybe five or ten minutes, he then turns to the three of us and says, so, like, what makes Methodism different than any other church? And I could instantly feel Teresa and Gwen turn to me and say, Daniel, this is you. <laughs> and I have to admit, when put on the spot, didn't quite know what to say. And I couldn't even play the card of like, oh, that's above my pay grade because it is literally my job to know the answer to that question. <laughs> So, you know, I told him about some things, and I, I, I think I gave a halfway decent answer. Uh, but the interaction with Nathan got me thinking. In this day and age, when so many of our churches look and feel pretty similar, what is it about our collective Methodist faith, if anything, that makes us unique or particular? And so in this new sermon series, Marks of Methodism, we're going to be exploring four main themes of the Methodist faith, uh, looking back to the early times of the Methodist movement to see how the unique marks of this faith tradition might inform our faith today. As you can see on the screen, the four topics that we're going to be talking about are community, social holiness, Christian perfection, And today we we'll begin with what I think is maybe the most important mark of a Methodist, and that is grace. Now I know what you might be thinking. Is he really going to say that grace is unique to Methodism? Of course not. Of course, grace is not unique to the Methodist faith. All Christians lean on and believe in the goodness of God's grace. It's one of the many things that we hold in common But the way that Methodists understand how God's grace works in our lives is a little bit particular, I think, and so is worth talking about today. Okay, I want you to indulge me one more time and turn to your neighbor for another 30 seconds, and this time I want you to ask this question, what is grace?
All right. Let's come back together. Again, I would love to hear the answers that you talked about, but in the interest of time, I'm going to make a guess. I'm going to make a guess that you might have heard in your conversation something about grace being God's gift to all who believe. Maybe you heard something about grace has to do with forgiveness of sins. Maybe you heard something about eternal life. Whenever I ask people this question, the most common answer that I get, though, is that grace is simply a gift that we don't deserve. Amen. Grace is a gift that we don't deserve. It is the unmerited favor of God who loves the world so much that he would give his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16, one of the simplest and maybe most famous articulations of God's grace. Now, I like John 3.16. I I like John 3.16 a lot, but the thing that is interesting about John 3.16, if you pay attention to the words, is that John ties God's grace with belief. I don't know if you were counting as I was reading the passage, but in those three verses, John uses the word believe four times. For John, grace comes when we believe and place our trust in Jesus Christ, which is a good thing and all and well and good. But in the Methodist faith, we believe that grace is not just for that moment when we come to believe. No, in the Methodist tradition, we believe God's grace is active long before we ever pray a prayer or believe in Jesus or place our trust in him. And God's grace is active long after we have that moment of believing in Jesus. The Wesleyan way of salvation is a grace that covers our entire lives. Now, I want to offer you what is my uh, working definition of grace from a Methodist perspective. You don't have to believe every word of this, but this is just something for us to talk about today. Now, I want to propose to you that from the Wesleyan perspective, the gift of God's grace empowers us to do three things. To belong to Christ, believe in Christ, and to become like Christ. God's grace always, always begins in belonging. We believe that God wills for all of creation to be in right relationship with God, and so God has extended grace to everyone. Simply put, there is no corner of this globe that is void of God's grace. There is no person on this planet who is void of God's grace. I don't care who you are, what you look like, what choices you may or may not have made, or who you love. There is nobody on this planet that is void of God's grace. This doesn't mean that United Methodists are universalists, but it does mean that we believe God's grace always goes before us to prepare the way so that we can believe and become like Christ. Grace does not begin when we say a prayer to place our trust in Jesus. It begins long before as God's grace awakens our hearts to the mystery of God. 
It begins as God stirs our hearts to awaken to to a desire for something more than we're currently experiencing. It begins when God tingles our souls with the realization that we might not always get things right and we might very well need grace. If you've ever wondered why we baptize babies in the United Methodist Church, it's because we believe God's grace begins in belonging. We don't suppose to believe that the baby who's being baptized knows what is going on. But baptism, we believe, is more about what God is doing. And in baptism, God is simply saying to that child, no matter how old, you are mine. You belong to me. My grace is with you. And that's why we baptize babies. Because we believe that even before you can say your first word, even before you form your first memory, the grace of God is already with you, saying, you belong to me. But of course, the grace of God is more than just that which makes us belong. God does will that we would take that grace given to us in our baptism and continue to grow throughout our lives to come to that point where we would place our trust in Christ, where we would say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus can take away all sins, even mine. God wills that we would move to that point. And that movement from baptism to belief is a movement soaked in God's grace. We sometimes call these moments of belief conversion moments. And the the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, whose uh, face is on the screen, he talked about his conversion moment, or at least one of them, happening when he was at a small group meeting in London on a street called Aldersgate. And if you've ever wondered where the name of this church comes from, it comes from this experience, where John Wesley, very unwillingly, he says, went to a small group meeting, and while the leader was reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans, of all things, he said he felt his heart strangely warmed. And he felt like he did trust Christ. Trust Christ to take away his sins, that, God, that Christ did, in fact, die for him. And in that moment, John Wesley put his belief and his faith in Jesus. This is why we say that here at Aldersgate, where a people of warm hearts and active hands goes back to that Aldersgate experience. Now, I actually don't really love the language of conversion moments. Because when we talk about those moments of conversion, it, it, it can limit our understanding of God's grace to a single moment. In reality, John Wesley had many, many more come-to-Jesus moments after that Aldersgate experience. And if you journey the road of faith long enough, you'll know there are many moments that come where we recommit ourselves to our belief in Christ. For believing in something like the gospel is hard. It is not easy to do. The road of faith is filled with doubts and questions, seasons of disbelief, even for John Wesley. Thank goodness that God's grace is not limited 
to a single moment of belief where we place our trust in Christ only to be found floundering the next. What's important, I think, is not that your belief is impervious to doubts, but what's important is that at the end of the day, do you choose to believe that there is a God who loves you and cares for you and wills the best for you? Believing is not merely a belief. It is not something we just do with our minds. I think it is a choice. Believing is a daily choice to say, even though I don't have all the facts, even though it seems hard to believe, I choose to say, I believe in God. And that's the choice that changes everything. Nonetheless, even though we've moved from belonging to believing God's grace never, ever leaves us there. This is another idea that is not unique to Methodism, but uh, it is different from other traditions. John Wesley spoke of this as sanctifying grace, which comes from the Latin word sanctus, meaning holy. And the idea here is that God's grace is so wonderful and so powerful that even though we continue to reject God and push against What God calls us to, God's grace has the ability to actually transform and change our hearts that we would become like Christ. Becoming like Christ is not, it's not about strict rule following. It's not about puritanical living. It's not about changing your outward behavior to prove to yourself or to anybody else that you live like Christ. Becoming like Christ is about God cleaning up our inward being, actually having the power to transform our wills and our desires that we would genuinely will the good, that we would genuinely have hearts that love God and love our neighbor more and more, that through our actions we would reflect the face of Christ. Becoming like Christ, then, is a pursuit of joy. It is a joyous thing because as we become like Christ, by God's grace, we become more and more who God has made us to be. Belonging, believing, becoming. This, my friends, is the Wesleyan understanding of how God's grace works in our lives. As John Wesley writes in one of his sermons, it is an understanding of salvation that includes the entire work of God from the first dawning of grace in the soul until it is consummated in glory. From beginning to end, we move and breathe and are saved by God's grace. So no matter where you are on the journey of grace today, whether God is helping you to finally feel like you belong to the family of Christ, whether God is helping you to believe deeper in the mystery of God's love for you, even if that feels like a choice, even if God is helping you this day to become more like Christ and you feel your heart changing because of God's grace, no matter where you are on that journey, we can all breathe a sigh of relief today. Because every part of our salvation begins and ends 
with God going before us to prepare the way. That's why it's called grace. It is what God does for us to empower us to be who God created us to be. To belong to Christ, to believe in Christ, and even to become like Christ. Thanks be to the God of grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.